Okay, let's, uh, let's look at Mark chapter 5. We're going to be uh, continuing in search of the real Jesus. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the brothers in Christ here asked me, uh, when are we going to find Jesus? <laughs> sort of like Waldo, we're still looking for him, I guess. But in a, in a way, that's good. I think in humility, we all need to understand that we have not yet, none of us have yet arrived in understanding who Jesus is. And in sort, that's a, uh, that's a lifelong pursuit. That's a, that's a dream. That's a passion that I hope we'll all embrace is the opportunity to know Jesus better and better. The, uh, the title for the sermon today is Dig Deep. And as we uh, go through this, I think it'll be uh, an opportunity to figure out sort of why we have uh, chosen that title. Jesus, the real Jesus today is going to challenge us to dig deep. And we'll talk about that from the text. Before I get into it any further, did I say Mark chapter 5? Good. I did want to uh, mention that uh, there's several wonderful uh, sisters in Christ that are here from the, uh, our, our, our sister church in Hawaii, and uh, they've been here before, but it's a chance to get to know somebody that lives a better life than you do. Um, so anyway, uh, I won't introduce them all by name, but you, uh, you uh, sisters from a Hawaii church, stand up, please. Uh, there they are right over here. Some of them have uh, been here before, but uh, please stop by and say hello and greet them warmly. And as well, anybody else that's visiting with you, been here before, it's your very first time here. Uh, it's great. Kevin is from uh, Hawaii. <laughs> Curtis and uh, Lynn used to live in Hawaii. I, I visited there once. More than once, yes. But it's been a long time. I need to go back. Can you do something about that, you uh, sisters in the fellowship from Hawaii? Mary Kay and I, we would like to go back for all spiritual reasons, of course. Dig deep. Today we're going to read another story where Jesus may seem to behave and to act in a way that you might consider unusual. And as, as, uh, as I typically do, I want to encourage you to get the most out of this, to put yourself in the story. Now, there's just a few characters in this story, but here's who I want you to particularly think about. There's a man named Jairus, and we're going to read about him. And I want you to imagine... This story happening. I want you to imagine that you're Jairus. Turns out he's the father of a 12-year-old girl who is ill. So we're going to read them. Now, this is a little bit longer reading than we uh, typically do, but so please follow along. We're going to put the verses on the screen as well as you can read in your own Bible if you brought one with you. Uh, we'll start in verse 21. We're actually going to go down to verse 35 initially, and then we'll go on and finish the story. So here's how it goes. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her 
so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So far, so good. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had some sort of hemorrhage, some sort of medical condition. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. Sounds like Mark had a little bit of an attitude toward some of the physicians. Sort of maybe came out in his account of the story. But we may be able to relate to that. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak or his robe because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. That's pretty impressive faith, isn't it? Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some of the men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? So let's stop reading right there for the moment. Did you uh, imagine that you were Jairus? Can you imagine how you might feel? Jairus was a, uh, a synagogue ruler, and what that meant was that he was a very important person in the Jewish faith, that he was one of the religious leaders in that area. It meant that in this situation, he was one of the primary men uh, in the local synagogue of where the Jews worshipped, and he oversaw sort of the CEO of the worship. Uh, he oversaw everything that was going on. He was sort of in charge of quality control. He was a very, uh, obviously would have been a very respected and important man spiritually. And we know that a lot of those people, the Jewish religious leaders, didn't really appreciate Jesus, did they? So he was kind of unusual, and so he really takes a great step of faith, doesn't he? He has a daughter that's sick and dying, and, but yet he believes that Jesus can do something, and he comes to Jesus himself. He doesn't care. He's not concerned about any potential embarrassment or what other people might say about him uh, pursuing Jesus. And so there he is. And he comes up to Jesus, and, you know, it's, it's really kind of a long shot. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, he's thinking, it's really kind of risky. But sure enough, he finds Jesus in this large crowd of people. He makes his way to Jesus. He explains the situation. He asks Jesus to come and heal his daughter, and Jesus says yes. How's he feeling now? 
It's pretty awesome. So here they go and they start hurrying on their way and they're Jesus and his entourage and Jairus and they're going and they're going to go to the house and they're going to heal the daughter. And then all of a sudden this, this woman shows up. And this woman had a problem. She had a chronic problem. For 12 years she'd had this hemorrhage. We don't know exactly what it was. But she is also somebody of faith. She believes if I just touch the robe of Jesus, then I could be healed. So she also fights through the crowd, Marcel. Are you paying attention? And she gets there and she touches his robe and she's healed. Again, so far so good. But then what happens? Jesus decides to stop and he wants to go find the woman because he understands that he has healed her. He understands that his power has left and he wants to have a, uh, he wants to interview the woman. Now, how are you feeling if you're right now, Jairus? If you're Jairus right now. How are you feeling? Is, is this really necessary? Okay, she's got her healing. And you know, I feel bad for the woman because she's been 12 years and all those doctors and all that money. But she's healed now. And my daughter is very sick, close to dying. And uh, you might wonder why the woman was trembling and why she was sort of hard to find is that in the Jewish, uh, in that culture and in, even in the Jewish religion, she would be regarded as unclean because of this hemorrhage that she had. And so it would be uh, forbidden for her to be out in a crowd like that and particularly to touch the robe of a rabbi. That was, that was verboten. Are you following this, Marcel? Just threw a little German in there for you. Was that German, Mary Kay? Thank you very much. Mary Kay has a German heritage, and so many areas of life she is continuing my education. Um, so you can understand why this woman was actually kind of trying to, you know, but Jesus wouldn't have any of it. So he's going searching for her. And finally she comes forward, and, and she probably, what she's afraid of is that, you know, she didn't ask permission from Jesus to be healed, you know, and she touched him, and that wasn't right, and she's probably thinking she's about to get possibly the rebuke of her life. Instead, that isn't what Jesus wants to do at all. He wants to reassure her. He wants to personally interact with her. He wants her to know that he applauds her faith and that he supports her faith and that her faith has healed. So it's a wonderful story in that sense. But if you're Jairus, how are you feeling right now? Just about the time that Jesus finishes his conversation, people show up and say, you know, you might as well just leave Jesus alone because your daughter is dead now. How are you feeling if you're Jairus? I said this is another example of where Jesus would act in a way that we might find to be unusual. Right? 
I mean, in modern terms, I think maybe if this happened, something like this happened today in, uh, in an emergency room, you know, Jesus might be sued for medical malpractice. <laughs> right? Because, you know, that's what you do in an emergency room. And, and as a physician, you, you deal with emergencies. And then you deal with, you know, somebody who's got a chronic problem. You know, you just make an appointment. You call your HMO and you get an appointment tomorrow. And we'll deal with you. And, you know, it's been going on for 12 years. So Jesus gets this thing all out of order. And if you imagine that you're Jairus, you have gone from elation of the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, is going to personally come and heal your daughter to finding out that because Jesus decided to hang around and have a conversation with this woman that she has died. You might look at that and think Jesus was insensitive. You might look at that and you think that Jesus was unloving. You might even look at that and think that Jesus was cruel even. Toying with his emotions that way. Delaying. And then he let the girl die. He's gone from tremendous hope and emotion and excitement to perhaps now, wouldn't you think this would be the lowest point of his life? His 12-year-old daughter is dead now. Wow. How are you with, uh, with waiting? Got any patient people in here? You know, one thing about the human condition that most of us relate to is we are not a very patient people, are we? I get extremely frustrated driving in the traffic in Los Angeles. Why is it that everybody who decides to go the speed limit or less all travels together so that they block all four lanes none of them speeds up or slows down and they're going either the speed limit or less and I'm trying to figure out how to get past them why do they travel in packs of four and I'm sitting there and I'm going because in my mind wherever I'm going it's important that I get there soon and I don't have time to wait behind you people Right? Now the truth is, you're like me, aren't you? Most of the time when we're impatient like that and we're tired of waiting, we're not really going anywhere important. It's just who we are and what we think about ourselves. I tell you, my, new, my newest uh, pet peeve is going to Starbucks. And this happens in the middle of the day. If you go, if you go during the day... And it seems like every time I go now, and I love Starbucks, please forgive me for that. I love Starbucks. I go, and there's somebody in front of me who is ordering coffees for everybody else in the office. Have you seen that? Have you done that? And of course, because it's Starbucks, it's not like, can you give me eight coffees? No, everybody wants a latte half-calf, 
extra hot, no foam. That's just one order. And they're taking it all down, you know, and I'm like, you know, I think they need to start doing like grocery stores. They need to, the people that have multiple orders, they need to have a separate line. Right? Because I don't know where I'm going, but when I'm waiting in line at Starbucks, I'm, I'm having to wait. And these people in front of me obviously do not understand how important my time is. Because I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going somewhere important. Well, you know, this, uh, this is really an issue with our faith, isn't it? Jesus is not afraid. In fact, Jesus expects us to dig deep in our faith. And what that means is, many times, is that we need to wait patiently for Jesus to work in his own time. Have you ever noticed that Jesus' sense of time is different than yours? It reminds me of different cultures. And I don't want to mention anything specific here. But it seems to be that there are some cultures where time is very important. And being on time and being early. And then there's other cultures where if you just get there sometime, it's okay. You know, being in L.A., I love L.A. And I love how the fact that even in our church, the diversification of the, all the different races you look at. I mean, I feel like in many ways, we are an excellent example of uh, the kingdom of God and as we should say, maybe uh, the, the, key, the, the dream that, that Martin Luther King talked about of all the people coming together. But since I've got out here, see, I, I grew up in East Tennessee. Can we, can we be honest about that? Uh, there were no Asian people there. There were no Latino people there. There were two black families in the whole county that I grew up in. Yeah. People of other races were just people I watched on television, <laughs> on the news. And coming to L.A. was just awesome. You know, you just get exposed to all these, these cultures, and time means different things. I, I know early on, I'm certainly not going to mention it, the, 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 the ethnicity of said family, but there was a wedding that I was uh, officiating at, and the mother of the bride arrived one hour after the thing was supposed to start. Yeah, you remember that one too, Tom. Don't say anything. Tom, we got to be sworn to secrecy here. We can't say anything. So anyway, we waited for mom to show up. And then we did the wedding. You know, I was just talking to Erica right before church, and Erica still hasn't had her baby. This is what she said to me. She says, well, you know, I'm Latina, so my baby's just going to come whenever he wants to come. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's, I'm just quoting what she said. That's what she said. I would never say that. 
No. See, there's a... God has a sense of timing. And many times, God delays purposely because he has some something behind that. There's some reason that we may never understand or we may understand later that makes it important or gives us an opportunity to grow and go beyond where we ever would have been if he'd have given it what we wanted when we wanted it. Right? And let's just recognize that one of the hardest things is to wait. And one of the great tests of faith is to want something and to believe something and to keep believing it even when it doesn't happen after day, after months, after years have gone by to still believe. That's the challenge of the hour. Jesus is not a permissive parent. Jesus expects us to dig deep to find more faith. If you don't have faith, even a basic faith in Jesus today, Jesus is calling you to find that faith. You may be an unbeliever. You may be an atheist. You may be getting closer and closer. But wherever you're at, Jesus wants you to take your faith further. And even when you're a guy like Jairus and you're an important guy and you're a humble guy and you believe that Jesus can heal your dying daughter and you show up yourself and you fight through the crowd and you find him and then even when she dies and keep in mind at this point there's no reason Jesus has done miracles and that's clear but he's not raised anybody from the dead yet. Not that we are aware of. And then comes the key, here's the key scripture of this whole text. It's the next verse. You remember where we stopped in verse 35, Albert? Don't shake your, don't nod your head if you don't remember. Thank you for being honest. Look what it says in verse 36. After the report comes, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher? Ignoring what they said. Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Let's stop there and then we'll finish the story. That is, in my mind, the key part of this whole story. Jesus is ignoring what they said. You know, sometimes in order to have faith, you got to stop listening to other people. There's a time to listen to other people, and then there's a time to stop listening to other people. Sometimes you just got to ignore other people. Especially if you're going to have faith. It seems like Jairus is the only one here who believes in his whole family. And we're not sure where his faith is at the moment. So Jesus directs him and says, look... Let's just forget about everybody else. Ignore what other people said. You know, sometimes what you need to ignore the most are the voices in your own head. You know, I got more problem with that. I mean, fortunately, most of you are very encouraging to me in the pursuit of my faith. Not all of you. I'm not going to mention any names. 
Most of you are very encouraging, and so we try to have a community where we encourage and we build up and we act like we believe, and even if we don't, and you know, and it's not bad necessarily. I mean, you know, we're just trying to help, we're trying to be encouraging and all that. But you know, the biggest problem I got is the voices in my hand. Right? You, do you have any voices in your hand? Don't make me feel like I'm the only one. We might call them satanic voices. We might call them demonic. Certainly voices of discouragement, negativity. Can't be done, won't be done. Maybe for somebody else, not for you. Right? And then Jesus says, this is sort of the coup de gras. That's French. I'm just going all over the world, Marcel. I've been in all different ethnicities today, speaking foreign languages. I know. People come here for an education, not just the Bible. Jesus said these words, and this is where, if there's anything that I want you to memorize, is there anything I want you to hang on to, there's anything I want you to take from this lesson, is there anything I want you to, to build the rest of your year on? Spiritually, don't be afraid, just believe. Amen. You know, sometimes it's not nearly as complicated as we make it. Yeah. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. You know, that's a mantra, that's a statement that we all need to get stuck in our head, right? You ever have a song get stuck in your head? And that can be frustrating. You know, you get a song stuck in your head and you just, it seems like nothing you can do can get rid of it. That happened to me last year with this uh, Taylor Swift song, Shake It Off. That happened to me. You know, I made a mistake of listening to the song once. Do you know the song, Marcel? You do know it? It's good. Shake it off. I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head, and finally I kept singing to myself, Get it out, get it out. I, could, I couldn't get rid of it. I wanted it to go. I wanted it to go away. Now, because I said that, I'll probably be, the rest of the day, I'll be miserable. But see, when we got these voices in our head and even voices of discouragement from other people, we need to tune in to the words and the voice of Jesus. Don't be afraid, just believe. Believe that Jesus could do more than you could ask or imagine. Let's see how that works, Marcel. Let's read the rest of this. Because this story has a good ending to it. This man, Jairus, he went from the, a point of hope and encouragement to the lowest point of his life to experiencing a miracle and victory that perhaps he never anticipated. Verse 37. 
After the girl dies, Jesus' words of encouragement to Jairus, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw commotion, people crying, wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So Jesus put them all out. I like that part right there. (laughs) You want to laugh? And we need to understand that. You know, Jesus is not a permissive parent. Jesus is expecting us to dig deep in our faith. You want to laugh at Jesus? Jesus says, okay, well, you just can go away then. You don't get to, you're not going to get to experience the miracle. You're not going to get to see the miracle. You're not going to get to participate in the miracle because you didn't have faith. Jesus put them out. I wonder how many of us are suffering unnecessarily in our spiritual life because we've chosen not to hear the words of Jesus and we do not, we've chosen not to believe in Jesus saying, well, you just go over there and, you know, sit in the corner for a while until you figure something out. Right? Jesus put them out. Took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was took her hand and said to her, Talitha Kuam, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. You look at the translation, it's like, honey, wake up from your nap. That's what he's saying. Immediately the girl stood up, walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I like that last part. In case you thought Jesus was insensitive, in case you misinterpreted his early actions, he's like, he's like my mother. Whatever happens in my life, my mother's mostly concerned even now that I get enough to eat. Right? She was just here. Drives Mary Kay up a wall sometimes, but she always wants to make sure her little boy... He's got plenty to eat. He looks like he might be wasting away. Wasn't supposed to be funny. The man ended up getting more than he asked for. Because he chose to have faith. He went to Jesus for a healing... But he got a resurrection. You know that scripture in Ephesians 3.20? A lot of us know it. God, the Lord encourages us to believe. To believe the impossible that God can do even more than we ask or imagine. I'm convinced that that's what happened here. The man didn't imagine that his daughter would be raised from the dead. To our knowledge and our rec- the record that we have, Jesus had never raised anybody from the dead at that point. We need to dig deep in our faith. And don't be surprised if now or in the very near future, if not now, Jesus puts you in a situation where you are going to be required to dig deep in your faith. 
And you're going to either do that and you're going to grow and you're going to experience victory that you would never have otherwise experienced or you're going to be like the other people, you're going to be put out. Jesus expects us to dig deep in our faith. He's given us plenty of reasons to believe. And now he says in your life, you need to stop being afraid and just believe. Here's your assignment for the week. I want you to identify one area. Let's just start with one, okay? One area of your life currently going on right now where you need to dig deeper in your faith. Some challenge that you're presented. It may be a life situation. It may be another person. Whatever, the, whatever it is. Figure out one area of your life where you need to dig deeper in your faith. And then all I want you to do is just focus on the words of Jesus. Imagine that Jesus is saying this, and I think in a spiritual sense, he's saying these exact same words to everybody in this audience. Whatever your challenge of faith is, he's saying, don't be afraid, just believe. I hope you'll be willing to take that encouragement. Because if we don't make our faith practical, it will soon become meaningless. Aren't there enough people in the world who call themselves Christians who don't live in any such a way that even indicates that they are? This is where faith becomes real. This is where rubber hits the road. You take something in your life. Now, I have one more thing to say. Joan, you thought I was done, didn't you? You thought I was close? Well, I am close. I am close. I'm not done yet, Joan. So keep listening. Here's the challenge that will help you take this even further. We're going to dig deep, right? What if you don't get your miracle? What if somebody else gets a miracle and you don't? You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, there's plenty of miracles around the day and great things that people pray about and it happens and sometimes they share and you know you should be encouraged. But instead, you get resentful. You get angry. You may get frustrated. Why? Why haven't I got my miracle? Perhaps the greatest test of faith is when we have something that we want and we do believe and we don't get our miracle. And it's even worse when somebody else gets their miracle and we didn't. You guys identifying with me? You know, miracles are uh, interesting things. I just want to close out with this. You know, I think uh, a lot of us wish, you know, we would have lived in the time of Jesus and seen some miracles, right? The truth is, 
miracles are a part of the story of Jesus. And they're very important. And the miracles that Jesus did, you know, did help to create faith in those who were open to having faith. Do you realize that in the, in the gospel record, as far as we can put it all together, there's not more than three dozen miracles when you put it all together? Now, we do know that there were other miracles that were not written down. But doesn't it say something that, I mean, part of me would like to, I would like to get a list of every single miracle that was done. Right? But we must understand, Jesus was God. So because he was God, you would expect him to do miracles. And because he was God, he did occasionally do miracles. But that Jesus didn't come just to, you know, have this unlimited display of miracles. He didn't come to heal all the diseases of the world or raise all the dead people. Have you figured that out yet? As far as we can tell, in the scriptures, there's only three people that were raised from the dead. This woman, the widow of Nain, her son, and Lazarus. And also, as far as we know, they all died again later. Right? It was just a temporary reprieve. Hold with me here. The truth is that Jesus, during his time on earth, did very little to solve the problem of pain and suffering in the world. He did very little in his day, and he's doing very little now. Most of his miracles were spontaneous. They weren't planned. He's not like, well, we're going to get a big crowd together, and we're going to go out, and we're going to put on a show today. Most of them were just like this story. He's just going on his way. He's teaching. Somebody comes up. He, he finds, you know, because he's a, Jesus has compassion, he did some things. But there are a lot of people that died while Jesus was on the earth, right? Not everybody got healed, did they? Perhaps we need to re... Instead of being discouraged by that, perhaps we need to understand the purpose of miracles. Yes, to build faith. There's enough there to build faith. And if, if you decide, if you're not inclined to have faith, no amount of miracles is going to convince you. Three dozen or, you know, three million. A lot of people in Jesus' day who saw miracles didn't believe. It's a choice that they made. But here's the thing. Perhaps miracles, the miracles of Jesus that he did, what they should mean to us is not so much what he's going to do in this life, but it gives us the faith to understand the vision and the possibility of what he's going to do with us in the next life. but we have the opportunity in the next life by the power of Jesus to live, to be resurrected, all of us, and to live again. There is a place where we will all be transformed. There is a place where there will be no more sickness. There is a place where there will be no more sin and there will be no more temptation. And we will live eternally. And these miracles that Jesus did, and if anything... The most accurate description is Jesus was almost reluctant about the miracles that he did. 
Sometimes they were about things that didn't even seem that important. The first miracle they did was turning water into wine. Depending on whether you like wine, you may consider that to be important or not. But he didn't play on that one either. His mother showed up. You know how mothers can be. His mother's like, well, Jesus, you know, I know you, and I know you could do something about this. And, you know, our friends here, they ran out of wine. Could you do something about that? He, I mean, time, walking on water. Why'd he do that? Well, he had to get away. Just, I guess there weren't any water taxis available. You know, he had to get back on the boat. Jesus did enough, but let's, let's understand. You know what? I hope... When you, you know, I've had four grandparents die, an uncle die, and I'm sure I'm going to have a lot more people that I'm close to die. And let's keep praying for miracles, and let's believe, and let's hope, you know, and know what God can do. But let's not ever forget the real point of the miracles is, it's not about, all about what Jesus is going to do in this life. It's the promise and the vision of what Jesus is going to do for us in the next life. So we'll pray, and we'll finish for today. We need to dig deep in our faith. I encourage you to pick one area of your life. Don't overwhelm yourself. Just pick one right now. And I hope the words of Jesus will get stuck in your head and my head. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to learn more about Jesus and really to learn more about ourselves. I pray that in this room that there will be many, perhaps people who have no faith, people who have weak faith, and even those that have stronger faith, that all of us will dig deeper and go further and understand more about what you can do and what you will do when we, when we just decide to live by faith. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.